Father, we just come to you and we are so grateful again that you have given us your word. And Lord, we are told that these passages that we're looking at in the Old Testament are given to us as examples, Lord. Examples on how to live our lives even here in the 21st century. And certainly the text that we're going to look at today provides us some very good uh, precepts for fighting the two greatest battles we fight as believers, the, the battle of belief and the battle of the flesh. Lord, so these are very important lessons. Hopefully all of us who are struggling with some of these things will, will learn these lessons today, that we'll learn the importance of, of of really believing and trusting in you, Lord, and just how serious of a matter that is, and that we'll learn how to fight our flesh, because we're all fighting our flesh at all times, and Lord, we need help in that area. So it's a, it's a really good lesson for us, Lord, but it's only one that we can learn by the power of your Holy Spirit. So I ask today, Lord, that you be our teacher, and that you open our ears and hearts to hear what you would have us to, to hear, Lord, and we just ask that in the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Today, we're going to be looking at one of those great names of the Lord, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner, and we're going to look at the meaning behind that name. A couple of us here at church took a motorcycle trip over to the hill country in Texas a couple of weeks ago, and I've got to tell you, that's probably one of the most conservative areas in the entire United States. Uh, we drove through the hill country, and and uh, after driving through, you know, all day through those hills and mountains, uh, we came, we went to dinner that night, and I asked uh, Winford and, and Marty, did you see all of those Biden-Harris signs? And they just laughed, because I don't think we saw a single Biden-Harris sign. You saw signs like guns, uh, owners for Trump, Trump-Pence banners. There were banners, every ranch had a banner, and most of the time it was a Trump-Pence banner. But one banner I saw on that trip, that was the banner that really impressed me. It was a banner that said, Jesus in 2020. It was a red, white, and blue, very large banner, and it said, Jesus in 2020. And I knew exactly what that ranch owner was, was communicating there. He says, I fly under the flag of Jesus, and that's the flag you need to fly under, to, under too. And that's the lesson that we're going to learn today as we... I think we already know the lesson, but we're going to see that lesson in today's text uh, as, we, as we see Moses actually coined this name, Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And he coins that name after a great victory the Israelites have over the Amalekites. And, and we're going to look at that battle today, but first let's go back to where we left off last week. You remember the Israelites had made the exodus, they had gone to Elam, the place of God, and then they had headed out into the wilderness of sin. And they had looked around, and they, and they, and they weren't stupid. They looked around, and there was two million people wandering out in the wilderness. And they looked around, and they said, how are we going to get fed out here? How are we going to drink water out here? There's nothing to drink. And sooner or later, with two million people, we're going to run out of cattle, we're going to run out of water, and we're going to die of hunger, and we're going to die of thirst. And so if you remember, last week they began to complain. And, and it was the first, one of the first times, they, they'd already complained once about water, but this was the second time that they complained. But they were setting a pattern here. And, and they complained, and what did the Lord do? 
The Lord didn't strike them down. He didn't even rebuke them. What did he do? He gave them manna in the morning, and he gave them quail at night to eat. And, and so uh, with their bellies full, they head back out into the, to the wilderness, and they've got their bellies full. They've got manna, and they've got, uh, they've got the quail, but they don't, still don't have much to drink. And so they begin to worry about what they were going to drink again. And they begin to complain against the Lord. And that's where I want to pick up today. Go to chapter 17 of Exodus. And look with me down in verse number 3. And it says there, And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you had brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock and our thirst? Were there not enough graves in Egypt that you've... Uh, that you had to bring us out here to bury us? I mean, that was kind of cute at first. It was kind of witty at first when they were making statements like that, but it's starting to get old. It's certainly getting old to Moses, and I think it was getting old to the Lord. So Moses cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, what, what, what shall I do with these people? They're about to stone me. Lord, you've got to give me some help. And, and the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, and take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand your rod, that same rod which you struck the river Nile, and the river turned to blood. So there's power in that rod. So you take the rod, and behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. Now, Horeb is the same thing as Sinai. So they're heading to Sinai now to get the law. That's, that's where we're at, the stage we're at in their journey. And it says, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, and the people will drink. Now, we get a great picture there, and we're going to see this in just a minute. That rock represents none other than Jesus Christ. And what a picture we get. Because the Father struck Jesus on the cross, and when he struck the rock, we, out came living water. So we go to the cross. It's a great lesson there. We go to the cross to drink of those living waters. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. It says, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa, or testing, and Meribah, uh, or, which means contention, because, the contention in the, because, of, because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tested, tempted, it says there, they tested the Lord saying, uh, now watch, what, watch the test they make. Is the Lord among us? Or not? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever been in a situation in your life, in a trial of your life, and you, you ask the question, is the Lord with me or not? Just by asking that question, you're telling something about yourself. You don't really trust the Lord. Because how many of you have seen the Lord act in your life in the past? I mean, the reason you're here is because you know the Lord and you've seen the Lord work in your life. So it's really a foolish question to ask, is the Lord among us or not? But that's the question that they ask. And, and all they had to do was just look up. Because here they were, and right above them was the very glory cloud, the Shekinah glory of God, right in their midst. And it's the same supernatural cloud that, that, that uh, was with them on the banks of the Red Sea, and it gave them light, and it gave Pharaoh darkness. Uh, so that Pharaoh couldn't attack them until they crossed the Red Sea. 
Uh, it was the same cloud that led them to the Mount of Horeb. I mean, that cloud was with them, and at the rear, the angel of the Lord was walking with them. And they're asking this question, is the Lord among us or is he not? It's the same Lord who, who uh, brought down the plagues on Egypt, who parted the Red Sea, who gave them the manna and gave them the quail. Uh, I mean, they had all sorts of proof that God was with them. That was a very foolish question to ask. But their hearts were hard. Their hearts were hardened against the Lord, and they refused to believe the Lord no matter what he did for them. Be careful with that. That is a very dangerous position to put yourself in. They were putting themselves in a very dangerous position. Uh, uh, and what we get here is proof of the fact that signs and miracles are not going to give you faith. I mean, all the signs and miracles in the world will not give you faith. Where does faith come? We looked at that last week, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. You've got to hear the word of God and you've got to believe the word of God. You've got at some point in your life, and they should have done that right here, you've got to draw a line in the sand and you've got to say, I believe you, Lord, no matter what trials come in my life, no matter what testings come my my way, I'm going to trust you to see me through those trials. You've got to draw that line in the sand. Now, or otherwise you're going to end up in the same disturbing pattern that the Israelites ended up following in their faith. What was that pattern? Here was the pattern. God, who, where, those, they had trials. Where did those trials come from? Those trials came from the Lord. God tested them. That's the first part of the pattern. The second thing that happened to them was that they tested God. They tested God by not believing God and by complaining against God and contending with him. And then what does God do? God miraculously uh, meets their needs again. And then they praise and they worship God. And then what happens next? God tests them again. And then they're complaining again. And so this pattern uh, go, takes place over and over again. They follow that pattern. Uh, the entire 40 years, they're in the wilderness. And they perished in the wilderness because they never drew a line in the sand and said, Lord, I'm going to believe you no matter what. Now, why was God testing them? Why would he put them through these tests? So, they could, so the Lord could teach them to worship him. And because they worshiped him, they would love him. Listen, you can't love a God that you don't trust. Don't tell me you love the Lord. Don't sing, I love the Lord. I mean, sing it, but, but uh, you want to believe it. You can't really love the Lord if you don't believe the Lord. You can't worship the Lord if you don't believe the Lord. And so the Lord tested them, and they failed that test over and over and over and over again. Now, what's that got to do with us? Let me show you what that's got to do with us. Take your Bibles and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where we get this stark warning about what happens to us if we don't believe 
the Lord, if we don't trust the Lord. So go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And pick up in, that's over in the New Testament. We've been away from there for a while, but you should be able to find it. Not 1 Chronicles, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Listen to what he says. He says, moreover, brethren. Now, when he says brethren, that tells us who he's talking to. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the modern-day church. Modern day for him, modern day today. He's talking to us. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the Red Sea. They all saw the miracles. They all saw the power of God. They all saw the love of God. They had no reason not to trust God. They all ate of the same spiritual food, the manna that came down from heaven. They all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they, for they drank of the spiritual rock. Remember that rock we looked at a while ago that followed them. Jesus was, followed them. The cloud went before them. Jesus followed them. You had the Spirit, so you had the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there in the Exodus. And that rock was none other than Jesus Christ. But with most of them, God, but with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. I mean, they died out there. They died out in the wilderness. Now, wait a minute. That's Old Testament, Pastor. That's Old Testament. We talked about that last week. Remember what we said? You cannot unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. They're, they're, they both have application for us, and that's what he's going he's gonna to make that case right now. He says, now these things, this story that we're looking at here in Exodus, now these things, verse number 6, became our examples. They're examples for us. So what he's telling us is the same thing that happened to them can happen to you and I if we're not careful, if we don't truly believe. He said, now these things became our examples in the to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. That's one of the things they did. We'll see that later. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. How could you become an idolater when the Lord is in your very midst? I'll tell you how. By not believing. If we truly believe the Lord, we're going to put away any idols we have in our life. As is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They could care less about the Lord. Not nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. We'll look at that later on in Numbers. And let us tempt Christ, as, and let us not, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. We'll see that story later on. And, nor, and here's the story we're at today. Uh, nor complain as some of them also complain. And look what happened to them, and they're examples for us. They were destroyed by the destroyer. They were given over to Satan, and they perished in the wilderness. Now, all these things happened to them, and they were recorded as examples for us. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So, so what, what happened to them in the early age of Israel can happen in the latter stages of the church, which is the age in which we live. And we should learn from their example. What should we learn? Not to fall into that pattern. That pattern of of just praising God when things are going good and when things go bad, we just throw our faith right out the window. And that's exactly what they were doing. 
And, 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 and because they didn't trust him, they couldn't worship him. You can't really worship God. I don't care how loud you sing, what songs you sing, what you do. You can't really worship God unless you believe God. Now that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? It sounds real simple. But believing is the hardest thing we have to do as a believer. Believing for believers is hard work. It's very hard work. And and let me tell you why it's hard work. Because the world and the devil and the flesh are going to come at you to do everything they can do to get you to doubt the Lord. Your own flesh is going to doubt the Lord. You've got to fight your own flesh. You've got to fight the devil. And you've got to fight the world. And you've got to win that battle. You've got to win that battle. If you don't win that battle of faith, that battle of belief, you're, not going, to, you're going to perish in this wilderness. You, it's a battle you've got to win. It's the most important battle in your life. It's a battle you have to fight every day, and you've got to win that battle, and it is hard work. You remember what we looked at this passage last week in John chapter 6. Remember the people came to Jesus, and they said, what must we do? What works must we do to have eternal life? And remember what Jesus said, this is the work that you must do. You must believe on me, and believe me, it is work. And you've got to work at it. And if you don't work at it, you're not going to have faith and you're going to be defeated your whole Christian life. And really, you're going to put your faith in doubt whether your faith is really real. God's going to test that faith. He's going to continue to test that faith until we are with him in glory. And let me show you how important it is. Go with me over to the book of Hebrews. Head towards the end of your Bible. Back towards Revelation. And look in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter number 3. And we're going to get this, look at the same story again in the New Testament that we're looking at in the book of Exodus. And look at what happens, what, what the author of Hebrews says here in verse number, I want to pick up in chapter 3, verse number 16. And he, he asks a question. A rhetorical question. He says, for who having heard rebel? Who, you really could add that. Who having seen rebel? Who having heard rebel? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? I mean, there were two to three million people that made the exodus. And how many of them survived and went on? Uh, what, three? Caleb, Joshua, and Moses? That, that's, that's, a, that's a stark warning to us all. Just because you, you come to church and just because you call yourself a Christian and just because you sing songs, if you don't put your faith in Christ, you're going to perish in the wilderness. And there's going to be a lot of people you think are Christians that aren't going to be in heaven because they never truly put their faith in the Lord and they never truly worship the Lord. And so he says, he says in verse number 17, he says, Now with whom was the Lord angry with for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? 
but to those who did not obey. And, 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 what, and here's, what he, here's what obedience was. He says, so we see that they could not enter in because of their immorality? No. Because of their impatience? No. Because of their drunkenness? No. Because of their covetousness? No. Because of one thing they couldn't enter in. They couldn't enter into the promised land, into the kingdom of God, because of one thing. Their unbelief. Unbelief. That's what's going to... If anybody's... There's going to be people in hell. Every person in hell is going to be there because of one thing. They're going to be there because of their unbelief. They never really put their faith in the Lord. Now look down at verse number 11. And we talked about this being hard work. He says in verse number 11, Let us therefore be diligent. Let us work hard. That tells us this is hard work. To enter the rest. You don't rest to enter the rest. You work to enter the rest. What do you work at? You work at your belief. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according uh, to the same example of disobedience that the Israelites suffered when they were in the land in the Exodus, during the Exodus when they were in the wilderness. And they all fell in the wilderness. So, as believers, we got a battle to fight. We actually have two major battles we fight. We're going to look at the second one here in just a minute. Two major battles. The first one, you're not, you're not even going to fight the second one if you don't get the first one down. The first battle is we have to believe. Now, again, that sounds simple. But you've got to draw, uh, I, all of us, we have to draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you no matter what comes my way. And certainly we're being tested in the days in which we live right now. But again, that's not the only battle that we're going to fight as believers. There's another battle we fight. Some people don't fight it, they just give in to it. But you better be fighting it. And that's the battle of the flesh. We're all going to fight that battle. Now, we're about to look at a passage in Exodus, the next part of chapter 17, where we're going to see how to win that battle. Expositors like Spurgeon, uh, J. Vernon McGee, uh, Chuck Smith all see, see this battle with the Amalekites that we're going to look at as a type of our battle with the flesh. And whether you agree with that or not, you certainly are going to see the way to defeat your flesh. If you're struggling with your flesh, if you're struggling with the things of the flesh, and we'll talk about what those are here in just a minute, you're, you need to hear this. How many of you struggle with your flesh? You better raise your hand. Because you struggle with your flesh. If you're not struggling with your flesh, you're not saved. Because as soon as you get saved, that battle begins. I mean, you don't fight it till you get saved. But once you have that Holy Spirit living in you and you understand what righteousness and holiness is and you hate unrighteousness, then the battle begins. What's Paul tell us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17? The flesh warth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And that battle continues until you're in glory. It continues every moment of every day because you don't rid yourself of your flesh. So that battle is going to go on and on and on and on, but we can have victory in that battle. So go with me to Exodus, back to Exodus chapter 17. And let's pick up in verse number 8. 
where we left off. Now, it says, Amalek came and he fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now, you understand why Amalek, the Amalekites would come and fight against Israel. They were living in Canaan. They were one of the tribes, the Canaanite tribes, and they were living in Canaan. And they heard about this exodus, and they see two or three million people who have crossed the Red Sea, and they're out in the wilderness below Palestine. Now, you think they're going to stay in the wilderness where there's no water and there's no food, at least from the Amalekites' perspective? No. They're coming into Canaan. They're heading our way. And they haven't mounted an army yet. They don't have many weapons. Now, if we're ever going to attack them, now's the time to attack them. So in their minds, they're, gonna, they're, gonna, they're, they, they're ready to go to battle against Israel. And so they bring this uh, unprovoked attack upon Israel. And so it says, now Amalek came and he fought with Israel at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose, a, choose us some men and go out and fight Amalek. Now here were, you had a, you know, a million men of fighting age. In Israel, so they had a large army. He said, "You didn't need many guys to fight them." Uh, you know, Amalek might have had you know fifty thousand men, something like that. So, so he didn't have to mount a large army, but he took what weapons he had, and he and he tells uh, Joshua to gather some good fighting men and go fight against Amalek. And tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So, what's Moses doing? He understands that the battle belongs to the Lord. And so he's going to let the Lord fight this battle and use Joshua as his hands to defeat the Amalekites. And it's going to work. So Joshua, Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand and the rod came down, Amalek prevailed. And so, obviously, at this point, Moses realizes that what's he got to do? He's got to keep his hands lifted up for them to get the victory. He's got to keep that rod lifted up. But, Mo- but, but Moses' hands uh, became heavy, and they took a stone and put it under his arm, and he sat on the stone. And, and Aaron and, his, and her supported his hands, on one, one on one side and the other on the other side. And the hands were... Uh, steady until going going down of the sun, until the going down of the sun. Now, you get a great lesson on prayer right here, if nothing else. If you're just looking at the surface of this text, you get a great lesson on prayer. I mean, what's the lesson? It's pretty simple. When you're praying, you're going to prevail. When you're not praying, you're going to be defeated. And if you get so tired of praying, you get somebody to join you in that prayer and help you in that prayer. Today, I don't know if most of you are aware of this, but Franklin Graham has asked that every American who believes in the Lord would go to the Lord in prayer and fasting today. Now, that so much kills our chocolate chip cookie, but we might have to break it for that. Uh, and pray for these elections that are about to take place in a little over a week. Elections that are going to affect the United States of America for years to come. In some ways, I think they're going to determine our fate. 
whether or not we go on as a nation, one nation under God, or whether or not whether we go on as a uh, socialist, communistic type nation. So I'm in total agree- agreement with him that we should all be in prayer. Maybe not necessarily today, but sometimes during this next week, if you've ever prayed, you need to pray for our nation. Now, I don't. I'm not going to get up here and 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 say you need to vote for Trump or you need to vote for this person, you need to vote for that person. But look, the lines are drawn in the sand and they're pretty clear. They're pretty clear. They're pretty clear. There's one party that wants this nation to become as godless as the rest of this world. There's one party that's godless, in my opinion, that at least stands for some of the principles of righteousness that we find in a godly nation. So I don't see much choice, what choice we have in our vote. And I don't think my vote or your vote is going to determine this thing. Probably Louisiana is probably, you know, pretty safe in the, in the I don't even like to call it the right corner, but, but the corner that's, that we need to probably to win. But I tell you what will help determine this election, and that is our prayers. And I beseech you, to get serious about praying for this country in this coming week, however you do that. And we will prevail. And if we prevail, we don't stop praying then. We don't sit back and say, oh, we're in in utopia now, we're in heaven now. No, there are going to be serious problems no matter who's president of this country because we have a serious problem in this country Uh, in lots of ways other than just in politics. So we need to be in prayer. And when you get tired of praying, you need to get somebody to join you in that prayer. But we need to be praying. And and again, there's a good lesson for prayer there. But anyway, we go on. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly, watch this, blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. One day, I'm going to blot their memory totally. uh, Nobody's even going to remember who they are. That day now has come. Uh, But, but, and, and Israel had this great victory over the Amalekites, but they weren't done with the Amalekites at this point. The Amalekites became a thorn in their side. They weren't blotted out of heaven after this great victory. Uh, they gave Israel trouble just about their whole history. They were such a formidable enemy to Israel that when Saul got the chance to defeat them and totally destroy them, remember what the Lord told Saul to do. I want you to kill every man, woman, and child of the Amalekites, and I want you to destroy all their cattle. I don't want anything left of the Amalekites. He didn't do that, and he lost his kingdom because he didn't do that. And really, strangely enough, or ironically enough, it was an Amalekite that ultimately killed Saul. Now, you look at this battle, and it's easy to see why expositors over the years have seen this battle with the Amalekites as a type of our battle with the flesh. 
Now, you, you think about it. After all, who is Amalek? You remember who Amalek is? Who's his father? Esau. Esau, who is the epitome of a fleshly man. A man who didn't live after God, a man who lived after his flesh. Now, when I talk about the flesh, what am I talking about? I'm not talking about our skin. I'm talking about the evil desires of our body, the evil desires of our minds. Uh, Paul gives lists in two or three places. You can kind of summarize those up, and let me put them into one list for you. But, but, but here's the works of the flesh. Anger, bitterness, envy, lying fornication, adultery, drunkenness, gluttonous, sodomy, idolatry, covetousness, stealing. You ever do any of those things? You ever, ever have any desire to do any of those things? Part of you says, I hate those things. There's another part of you, your flesh, that likes to eat more than it needs to eat, that likes to drink more than it needs to drink, that likes to covet things, that likes to, to steal things, that likes perverted things there's just a part of us that that if you're honest with yourself there's a part of us that we have to battle with and we battle those with those things until when until the lord wipes out the remembrance look at that last verse of insert flesh instead of the amalekites until the lord wipes out the remembrance of our flesh from under heaven and when's that going to happen when we when this corruptible puts on incorruptible, and we have those glorified bodies. But here's the good news. There's good news in this. The battle belongs to the Lord. Who did Moses send out? He sent out Joshua. Joshua, that very name, if you bring it all the way to the English, means Jesus. That's the name Jesus. And when we fight the Amalekites, when we fight our flesh... It's Jesus who battles for us. And that's where a lot of people go wrong. They try to fight that battle themselves, and they lose. And, and, and again, just like you have to win the battle of belief, you've got to win the battle of the flesh. It's clear in the Bible. You've got to win it. I mean, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. And if you're not putting to death the deeds of the flesh, then you're You don't have the Spirit of God in you, and you're none of His. Go with me over to Romans, back to the New Testament for a minute. Go with me over to Romans chapter 8. And I'm not going to do all things work together for good of those that love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. That's the one everybody runs to, Romans chapter 8. We'll get to some of the, not more serious, but the more uh, troubling stuff here as as we... Look at this passage. Go to go chapter 8. Look down at verse number 13. Look what it says. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. You will die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. The wages of sin is death. You will live, at the very least, a life of defeat. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live a victorious life in Jesus Christ. Because look back at verse number 6. For to be carnally minded is death, 
To be spiritually minded is life and peace. And how important is this to us? Let me show you how important this is to us. Go over with me to Galatians chapter uh, 5. Just head back towards Revelation again. The last book of the Bible. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to look at verse number 24. And those who are Christ. Now, to be Christ means you're a real Christian. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. In other words, the flesh no longer rules them. They rule the flesh. Now, if you're a Christian and you're being ruled by your flesh, there's a problem there. At some point, that's got to change or you will die. If you call yourself a Christian and you're letting your flesh reign, then what you're doing, you're losing the battle and you're going to die in the wilderness. And while you're losing the battle, you go back to the fact you don't really believe in the power of the Lord to give you victory over your flesh, and you will, you will die. But, and this is the good news. We don't have to fight that battle. Joshua is the one who fights that battle. Our Jesus is the one who fights that battle. He's the one who gives us that victory. Listen, over in 1 Corinthians, we won't turn there, but over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. There's a great statement, a very profound statement there. It says, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Lord is, uh, there is freedom. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, you don't have to be a scholar of Greek to know that whenever you see the Lord in the New Testament, who is it referring to? It's always referring to Jesus Christ. The word is kurios, and that's the title for Jesus Christ. He's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the Lord is the Spirit. Jesus is the Spirit. I believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But Jesus is the Spirit. Jesus is the Spirit. And wherever Jesus is, now where is Jesus for the believer if you're truly born again? Where is he? He's in you. Wherever Jesus is, there is freedom. There's victory. There's victory over the flesh. So if you're a born-again believer, you get some victory over the flesh. Now, I'm not saying you don't lose at times because it's a battle. And a lot of people, I I know some of you who have have kind of quit on the battle. You can't quit on the battle. You've got to keep fighting. That's your job. What's your work? To believe. To believe on Jesus Christ. To believe in his power to give you victory over your flesh. Don't, you try to do it yourself, you're going to run into all sorts of trouble. You've got to let him give you that victory. And Jesus, our Joshua, will give you that victory. But listen, we aren't passive in that battle. What was happening as Joshua was fighting the Amalekites? What was Moses behind the lines? What was he doing? He was lifting his rod and he was praying. 
And that's how we get victory over the flesh. See, we first of all got to recognize that we've got a problem with our flesh. That our flesh is ruling and reigning over us. And we don't want it to rule and reign over us. We want Jesus to rule and reign over us. And we got to say, look, Jesus, you got to take charge of this because I can't handle this. But then we've got to pray. And we don't pray one time, Lord, I'm having trouble with sexual sin. Lord, please help me. And then be done with it and think you've got the victory. It's not going to be that easy. You've got to sit there and you've got to keep that rod up and you've got to keep praying. And if you can't pray enough yourself, you've got to get somebody to help you. You get weary, pray and say, get somebody to join you in that prayer. I wouldn't tell them you're involved in sexual sin, but get them to join you in your, in your prayer. And, and if we follow that pattern, we're going to get victory. We're going to get victory over our flesh. Let me give you an example. Let's say you got a problem with anger, like some of the people I know. I was driving to church this morning, and I was at that red light that lasts about an hour up there at Camellia and College Saloon. And there was a guy in front of me, and the light turned green, and you got about 30 seconds to get through that light, and he was just sitting there. So I very politely tooted my horn. I didn't, I really didn't, you know, I was trying to be a pastor. I didn't want to get road rage this morning. So I tooted my horn a little bit. And him and his wife waved at me. (laughs) They both waved at me, but they were sticking up a finger when they were waving. And if I'd had a cannon on the front of my car, I would have blown them right off the road. (laughs) And then they went through the light. Ran the yellow light as it was turning red and left me to wait on the light again. And I wanted to kill him. See, I, God will test you, trust me. And, and, and I do struggle with anger. And, and years ago, they wouldn't have made it to the light without some repercussions for waving at me. But, but, I pray, I pray always that God will give me victory over that anger. And that's a constant battle I deal with. There's some things, I I used to do cocaine and all sorts of stuff before I got saved, that God just took that right out of my life. But there's some things he's left me with to test me with. And And what happens when I'm praying to the Lord, I'm drawing closer to the Lord. And I see the victories like I really think I had a little victory today because I didn't do anything. And, and I see those little victories and I praise the Lord and I worship the Lord. And I see the power of the Lord and I believe the Lord. And because of all of those things, see, I can love the Lord. And all he was trying to do in all of this testing of, of, of the Israelites and all his, he's trying to do in all the testing that he He tests us with is to get us to a point where we really love him. Where we really, truly love him. When you're going through a test and you want to hate him because of what he's putting you through, stop and think about that. He's putting you through that test because he loves you and because he wants you to love him. Now let's go back and finish this up in the last two verses here in Exodus. And I love this. Moses sees this great victory. 
And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, but because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with the Amalek from generation to generation. What he's saying here is, is the Lord has sworn that, hey, you're going to fight with Amalek for a long time, but I'm going to give you victory over the Amalekites uh, over that time, as long as you follow me, as long as you believe in me, as long as you let me fight that battle for you. I'm going to give you that victory. And that's the same thing he wants to do for us. I mean, he's our banner. We fly under his banner. He's the one who gives us victory over our unbelief through his word. He's the one who battles for us against our flesh through our prayers. So that we come to a point where we truly love him. This, I guess it was two weeks ago, I sent a donation in. I wasn't even going to tell you who I sent it to, but obviously I sent it to Trump Pence. I sent him 50 bucks. No big donation, but I said, you know, if everybody sends a little bit, it'll help them in these last days. And that was two weeks ago, and, and, and just a few days ago, I looked at my phone, and I'd been charged another 50 bucks. And then I got a thank you note from them saying, thank you for your recurring donation of $50 a week. And I said to my, I, I, I couldn't talk to them. You, good luck finding them anywhere. All you got is an email, a spam email. I said to myself, I'm not giving them fifty dollars. I mean, how long till the till he wins or loses the presidency or forever? I mean, how long does this last? So I got on the site, try to find some way to get out of that thing. I couldn't get out of it, so I called the credit card company, Chase, the credit card. Good luck finding a person to talk to. I mean, I went through thirty minutes of gyration trying to just get to a person to talk to, and they gave me two choices. On the computer, you know, report a, uh, a lost or report a stolen card. So I just reported a lost card. But through all of that process, it reminded me that I'm not a Republican. I'm really not that pro-Trump. He, to me, he's the lesser of two evils. I'll just put it that way. And, and he's doing some things that are good for the church, so I'll vote for him. But, but I don't fly under, or I don't fight under the Republican banner. I got to tell you, I don't even fight under the stars and stripes. Don't get me wrong, I'm a patriot. I mean, I did my time in the military. I'm, I'm a patriot, and I believe in patriotism, and that's another issue. But the battles that I have to win in this life, the battle of belief, and the battle of my flesh, Donald Trump can't win for me. The Republicans can't win for me. The major battles that I'm fighting in my life 
Only the Lord can win those battles. And so I fight under the flag of Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is my banner. And I ask you to join me in fighting under that flag too. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, even those tests and trials, and Lord, we're having so many right now. Even those tests and trials that come our way, Lord, they're for our good. They're, you give us those tests because you love us, and you want us to love you. Lord, help us to win these battles. Help us to draw a line in the sand, Lord, and no matter what tests come our way, We trust that you're going to get us through whatever trial we might face. Lord, help us to believe. Help us to win the battle over our flesh. Lord, it's a continual battle. We win one victory. We're going to have another battle, Lord. We know that. But keep us victorious as we walk with you, as we give you the battle. And we stand back and pray, and we watch you do your work. We're so grateful for what you're doing in our life. Lord, if there's anyone here who's never crossed, drawn that line in the sand and said to themselves, Lord Jesus, I'm going to believe in you, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to do your will for the rest of my life. Lord, let today be the day that they do that so that they waffle around in the wilderness for the rest of their lives, Lord, but so that they will enter your promised land of peace and joy and love and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. Lord, help us have those things. Help us have those victories. We ask that in Christ's name I pray. Amen.